May history be able to say that the end of this chapter of American darkness began here tonight as love and hope and light join in the battle for the soul of the nation. And this is a battle we will win and we'll do it together. Welcome to How We Win. All over the country, people are doing extraordinary things. We're giving you the tools that you need to make a difference right now. The best antidote to anxiety is action. There are 69 days until the most important election of our lives. Today, we are so excited to welcome the unwavering and unrelenting Congresswoman from California, Maxine Waters. You do not want to miss this powerful conversation and hear her advice about how we overcome blatant voter suppression and win in November. But first, Brian Tyler Cohen, the host of the podcast No Lie and the face of practically every debunking video you've ever seen on the Internet, helps break down the last week, including the highlights from the DNC and the lowlights from the RNC. I'm Steve Pearson, and this is How We Win. BTC, Brian Tyler Cohen. Steve, 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 thanks so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. I'm excited. I've wanted to do this for a long time. It's fun to bro out a little bit. I don't get to do that very often. <laughs> yep, yep. Glad I could uh, f- help, help you out there. Brian helping out while Mariah is on maternity leave. And I want to say officially congrats to Mariah and her husband, Olivier, and welcome baby Jackson. Jackson yes, was congratulations. born. congratulations. Yeah, Jackson was born on Friday. We're very excited. So congratulations, Mariah and Olivier. Uh, I, I just want to acknowledge before we get going to um, we've got – Wildfires here in California, hurricanes in the southeast, coronavirus still going on. We just had another shooting on video uh, in Wisconsin and Kenosha, Jacob Blake. So I just I just want to uh, check in with everybody and acknowledge that a lot of people are, are really going through a hard time, especially this week. You know, hang in there. We're going to get through this together. Having said that, like I said, there's a lot going on this week, Brian. What's what's top of mind for you? What's been going on with you this week? Yeah, you know, I'd say what's top of mind first off, just having come off the first night of the RNC, is uh, well the insanity of what what we've just heard. Yeah. Um, did you get a chance to to tune in? I I felt obligated to tune in. Now that we're recording this podcast, I do not plan on watching the rest of it. There's people who are doing that for me. Thank you for taking one for the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look, it's it's. Because of what I do, which is largely debunking right-wing lies and propaganda and talking points, this is the stuff that I kind of have to mire myself in. Um, It's a lot of exactly what you thought it would be and what you would imagine it is. Um, You know, a lot of the right has been kind of sucked into this, this Fox News fever dream. And so what we saw out of the RNC was basically just more of that. It was thinly veiled threats of open borders, of surrendering our children to sex traffickers and <laughs> sending our jobs to China. And I mean, these people are so brainwashed by Fox News that when they're outside of their Judge Janine bubble, you know, they sound like <laughs> like lunatics. So um, it's funny, but you're not really exaggerating at all. No, I'm, I'm, 
I'm not exaggerating to the to the point that those are direct quotes. I mean, I'm sure that people have seen the footage of Kimberly Guilfoyle mm-hmm. uh, screaming her head off about <laughs> you know socialist, communist, Marxist Democrats, and you know I, I just can't imagine that that a Midwestern uh, mom is sitting there, you know, someone who's who's still undecided, who's still on the fence, watches something like that and thinks to themselves, "Yup, that's." That's where I belong. I've right. been on the fence, but after hearing that speech, yeah, I, I have a I have a place in the Republican Party. <laughs> it just goes to show how far off the cliff the right has fallen. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And and Representative Waters and I talk about it a little bit in the interview about that it's not it's no longer the Republican Party; it's the party of Trump, and that's reflected right. in their literal lack of a platform. Um, yeah, their platform is. Whatever Trump wants, we will support. That's their platform. Yep. Yep. Whatever fleeting synapse fires in Trump's brain and and random (laughs) thought comes into his mind and falls out of his mouth, that is the de facto Republican platform. (laughs) I mean, it's uh, it's sad for the party, but at the same time, it just kind of, you know, that reinforces the Democratic platform and how it offers a hopeful and optimistic and realistic Mm. view for the future. Yeah, I mean, usually you can pretty starkly compare and contrast positions within Democrats and Republicans, but in this case, it's two different universes. You know, it's yeah. one of of recognizing the pain in the moment that people are in and and approaching it with compassion, looking to be inclusive and Policies that are based in healthcare, saving people's lives, protecting our planet and our fundamental economy too, you know, jobs, all, all of the things that are the most important kitchen table issues, as opposed to this new party of Trump, which is in doing I think you said this in a video, their best Mussolini impression. <laughs> yeah, I did. I'm gonna yeah. steal your quotes. That's um, what I didn't do. <laughs> That's fine. You're 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 more than welcome. You know, I and I, and I think to to build on what what you were saying, another big part is just to acknowledge reality, right? I, I think like regardless of what your positions are on issues, I think there is a fundamental failure by the right to just acknowledge what's happening right in front of us, and that that doesn't present itself more than with with coronavirus. So. I think the American people are really tired of of having a party that's not acknowledging the fact that a virus is sweeping across the country that's killed 175,000 people and counting. You know, I mean, that is the number one issue on all of our minds right now. And the fact that the right is is still trying to make this a referendum on abolishing the suburbs, you know, goes to show that this isn't a party that, that's that they're not a serious party. Right. Yeah, well, I mean, the uh, quote-unquote Southern strategy has always been used um, by the Republican Party for many, many years. That's nothing new, but this is not even the Southern strategy. It's uh, straight-up racism um, with a bullhorn. Yeah. There there was one, actually, one really telling moment, and it was Don Jr. tried to make a joke about Joe Biden having barely any campaign events – and he was just trying to, you know, further this this whole talking point that that Biden is locked in his basement and that he doesn't have energy, whatever. But all he did was inadvertently point out the fact that Biden can't have any campaign events because there's a virus that's spreading across the country that's killing tens and hundreds of thousands of people that was only exacerbated given the fact that this administration failed to take it seriously. And so even even these like 
lame jokes by Don Jr. Uh, have the, the unwitting effect of just pointing out this administration's failures. Yeah. And also the fact that Trump's campaign events were wildly irresponsible. And uh, yeah, I mean, look, you look at someone like Herman Cain. I mean, he right. went to the Tulsa rally and died and died. I mean, this is Trump's advisor and friend. And that was a, a rally, by the way, with just over 6,000 people. They were expecting a million people, a million people. <laughs> and they had 6,000. And already they had one of their closest advisors die from it. So could you imagine if this event was, you know, I, I don't even know how many times bigger a million people would have been, but dear God, you would have had so many more deaths than what they had already. Yeah. And of course, they thought they were going to have a million people because the campaign got punked by uh, fans on, on TikTok and TikTok, TikTokers <laughs> and Zoomers. Uh, yeah. And now and now Trump is just wants to destroy TikTok because everything, everything circles back to his ego. Yeah, it really does. Uh, it would be funny if it wasn't so, you know, so terrifying. And um, that's the uh, I, bumper sticker for 2020, <laughs> right? It yeah. would be funny if it wasn't so terrifying. It's not 2020. a bad T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk really quickly before we move on about the post office because we had Louis DeJoy testifying before Congress yesterday. What was your takeaways from that testimony? Yeah, I mean, look, he he is a prototypical Trump administration official in the sense that. He is there for no reason other than to destroy the, the agency that he was put in place to oversee, right? His, his goal is clearly to cripple the post office. And that's underscored by the fact that Trump admitted that, that his goal was to, was to sabotage the post office because it would make it more difficult for mail-in ballots to get delivered on time. Right. So I think everything that we hear from Louis DeJoy lends itself to Trump's stated goal. Trump is uh, so ham-handed with all of this. <laughs> like, like yeah, if, I mean, if it's, you're it's, a despicable it's... Republican who is trying to hoodwink uh, America and and consolidate power, and then all of a sudden you've got this guy who's literally saying this shit out loud. Yeah, <laughs> you just must be it's, ripping it's your hair. It's stupid Watergate every single day. It is just <laughs> stupid Watergate over and over and over again. Whoever taught Trump how to crime forgot to tell him not to admit everything he's trying to do on national television. <laughs> he thinks that like Fox News is is his secret bubble, that it's all like, you know, it's just him and his and his buddies and like no one else can hear it. But like it's still national no, TV. They're and recording so and broadcasting that, that. Yeah. When he when he admits this stuff on national television, we can hear it too. <laughs> well, the post office is definitely under attack and um Everyone is is concerned about it, and you should be talking about the DNC, the other side of the coin here. Um, Michelle Obama had the best advice for how to deal with that, and that is to vote early. If you can vote in person safely, then do that. If you can vote early in person safely, then do that. And then talk to all of your friends and neighbors and family members and make sure that they vote early. That's how we're going to overcome this because, again, Louis DeJoy, I give it a soft J just because it sounds fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. He literally said, nope, I'm not going to uh, put it back the way it was. I'm not going to commit to fixing anything that, that I already damaged. Right. And, and just to build on that, you know, I think it's easy for people to look at that and, and feel a sense of despair because, like, we can't do anything about this. Right. He, he said he's not going to do it. 
there's not much that Congress can do other than to somehow try and force Mitch McConnell to take up this bill, which, uh, you know, I'm not sure I'd put money on. But I think one unintended consequence of holding this hearing, even if we're not able to be successful legislatively, is to just draw attention to the fact that, okay, this is happening. We have somebody in place whose intention is clearly to undermine the post office. What can we do, you know, as as regular Americans to overcome this? And it's like you said, it's it's to make sure that we get our ballots in early, that we vote in person if we need to. There's also the option of drop boxes or dropping our ballots off at election offices. The point is that this hearing drew attention to what's happening. And so, you know, if 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 the only purpose it served was to show more Americans what's happening and the fact that we need to take action on our side, then in a way it was successful in that right. Yeah, well said. Before we move on to our call to action, um, you have, in a relatively short time, have really created a huge platform for yourself, starting with doing uh, these you know, debunking videos on YouTube and creating a, a really big following, and now with your awesome podcast, No Lie. Uh, when did you get started, and how, how did that all come about? Yeah, so I, I I got my start on Occupy Democrats uh, just after Trump got elected. Um, I was writing for Occupy, and we were publishing a ton of content onto Facebook. Um, I found that that's where you know that's where the majority of people get their news, right? Uh, and then I started to see people doing video content. And I'm thinking like, okay, well, I, I feel like I can do that. So I started making videos, like political debunking videos, and putting them onto onto YouTube at first, and you know, they were getting 40, 50 views per video, mm-hmm. which was fine. And I just kind of kept putting them out there and just, you know, have a few dozen people watch them and then a few hundred people watch them and then a few thousand and then, you know, kind of hit a critical mass. And I think that it shows that there was a hunger for well, for two things. I think the first is there's so much disinformation out there and especially on the right. I mean, that that party thrives in disinformation. So I think when people are given a resource that that can be used to kind of clearly and plainly and concisely debunk those lies, then, you know, there's a lot of value in that. Right. But the second reason that I think the content does well is because it's democratic content. And and here's what I mean by that. There's right-wing media, which is unashamedly right-wing, and that right-wing media has branded legacy media as the left. They They unilaterally decided that ABC, CBS, NBC, New York Times are the liberal media. But legacy media doesn't belong to the left, and especially not how right-wing media belongs to the right. And in fact, legacy media falls over itself to prove that they're not liberal. I mean, look how they embraced Benghazi and Hillary's emails, which are just bullshit right-wing propaganda, right? They fall over themselves to overcompensate for being called liberal. And yet that's who we were given. That's, That's who's on our team, people who don't want to be on our team. So there's a void in liberal media, like real liberal media, and I think that's where I fit into. And, and the same goes for, for what you do for Swing Left and, uh, and other organizations like us. You know, there's clearly a hunger for liberal media that is unapologetically liberal. Like our side shouldn't have to settle for, <laughs> for Chuck Todd, you know? Like we're <laughs> on the right side of history. We have the support of the majority of the American people and the world and, and our media should reflect that. And I think for the first time, with organizations like yours and, you know, hopefully shows like mine, uh, uh, we, we, we have that. Yeah. I just love, I love those stories. I mean, like 
you know, fundamentally, that's why I wanted to start this podcast too, um, not just to be liberal media, because I think of myself actually more of an or, as an organizer than as a journalist. But yeah. um, your story is incredible. I mean, you you like okay, I'm going to do these debunking videos, and it's something that I do and can do well, and and started with. 40, 50 views on your videos, and now um, you have an empire. So <laughs> your influence yeah, I mean, is look, boundless. <laughs> you know, it's it's great, and I'm so I'm so grateful for people that have tuned into the videos and people that watch regularly and listen to the podcast. But also, you know, it's a it's really a reflection of of how bad the situations become that that those videos have become so necessary. That I have so much content. You know, like. There's no reason why I should be having to debunk every word that comes out of everybody's <laughs> mouth on the right. And yet the fact that I do is just kind of, you know, it's it's a it's it's bittersweet for me because I'm, you know, I'm I'm happy to 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 be able to reach people. I'm happy to be able to have a voice, but at the same time it's, you know, it, it is uh sad to use one of Trump's words, sad with an exclamation point <laughs> that I that I have to that I have to do this on a daily basis. Yeah, it's a really good point. There there was a time when when you'd be like, "Wait a minute. I think they just lied uh a few <laughs> minutes ago when they made that statement. Now you can't yeah. even keep up with it. It's just lie 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 like, you know." No, and I, and I think that's the point, right? I think like the point for them is to is to kind of muddy the water so much as to to obfuscate the facts so much that that there's no way to keep up with it. And so yeah. we try and I think people I think people finally do realize, you know, when you lie as much as they do, I think, you know, it's, they become more egregious in it. They become more shameless with it. And so now you see events like the RNC, which again, I'll watch so you don't have to, uh, Thank you, you see sir. events like the RNC where, where, you know, their, their whole, uh, their whole shtick now is that they're trying to convince people that Democrats are trying to abolish the suburbs and, and no reasonable person is going to buy that. And I think uh, I think they kind of overplayed their hand with, uh, with the constant deluge of lies over the last four years. Yeah. So every week on the show, we talk about a reason for hope. And um, I will not make you go first. I'll go first. My reason for hope this week is actually the DNC. I really appreciated – first of all, they, they made – lemonade out of uh, a really difficult situation. The convention was like, what were they going to do? How are they going to run a virtual con convention? And it was so engaging. And the roll call with everyone from all the states was spectacular. The The videos packages were, were really cool and impactful. The speeches, I thought, had like an intimacy of someone talking right to you that a big convention speech didn't have. Of course, it misses like the rah-rah of the big convention, but um, I thought they made a great case for Biden and and the compassion that he has, and the empathy that he has to meet this moment. Like we talked about earlier, there could not be a starker contrast between the Democrats and what I'll just call the party of Trump right now. Um, and it really gave me a lot of hope. And plus, I'm just like, I was just so thrilled to see Kamala Harris there, you know, as our VP nominee. Um, yeah. So that that was my reason for hope. What about you? I'd say um, we had spoken about the Postal Service. I would say that mine is that we've heard reports from Postal Service employees in the Seattle-Tacoma area who have reinstalled decommissioned sorting machines. And hmm. uh, there's also employees in the Dallas area who tried to do the same thing. Um, those people were unsuccessful because their machines were missing parts. But 
the point is that they tried. So I just want to, you know, commend those people for doing their jobs because those people don't want to be the unwitting soldiers in Trump's voter suppression war. So I would just say good on them for for standing up for what's right, for for reinstalling those decommissioned machines. They have our support and I hope what they're doing inspires other postal workers to do the same. That is awesome. I did hear about that and and um you know, you look for patriots to stand up and and that definitely gives me hope as well. Um, all right, so our call to action for this week, I kind of touched on it last week about avoiding watching the RNC and their hate fest and getting into action instead. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Swing Left is sponsoring an RNC turnoff week. That's swingleft.org slash RNC off. And uh, we'll have a link to it on our podcast page as well. So we've got events every week, phone banking, letter writing, different kinds of uh, of ways to hook up with local groups uh, to get involved in these super states instead of watching the hate fest fear mongering that is the, um, the Trump convention right now. So that is your call to action for the week is to join in with one, two, three of those events and you know, don't worry. Brian's watching, so he'll give you a full report. He's doing the dirty work. You don't have to. I got you guys. Yep. <laughs> I got the micro dirty jobs thing taken care of, so, so don't worry. <laughs> and then we also have a a weekend of action this weekend, a phone banking weekend of action to get your phone bank chops up. It's It's go time, right? Can't stop, won't stop. So sign up for the weekend of action this week as well. Those are great points. And if I could, if I could just um, add, you know, I, I know we've spoken about, I know we spoke earlier about getting ballots in early as soon as they arrive in the mail, about mm-hmm. putting them in drop boxes, about dropping them off in person, about voting in person, about having your election day plan. Um, something else that I wanted to bring up was if you can, if you're healthy, if you're not you know, vulnerable to the virus, if you can sign up to be a poll worker, there's a massive shortage of poll workers. And I think it would be really important to, you know, to make sure that that the reason that polls aren't closed is for a shortage of poll workers. So if if you have the ability to, you know, to to work for the day as a poll worker, then then uh, you should you should look into doing that. Right. That's a, a great tip. Thank you for that, Brian, because we definitely yeah. need poll workers. Brian, Tyler Cohen, thank you so much for joining in and helping out while Mariah is uh, enjoying her new baby boy, Jackson. Um, of course. Congratulations again to Mariah. And uh, and thank you, Steve. And and thank you to, to everybody at Swing Left. You know, the work you're doing is so important and uh, couldn't come at, you know, a more more pivotal time than right now. Thanks, man. Yeah, absolutely. And um, everyone, when you're done listening to this show, make sure you go over to No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen and subscribe and listen to his awesome podcast. Thanks so much. But first, we have our interview with Maxine Waters. Congresswoman Maxine Waters from the great state of California is currently serving her 15th term in the House. She recently made history as the first woman and first African-American chair of the House Financial Services Committee as an outspoken and unapologetic critic of the Trump administration. She really needs no introduction. Representative Waters, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I'm delighted to be with you today, Steve, and thank you for inviting me. 
Oh, it's our pleasure. And by the way, congrats on a great DNC. Uh, a lot of people don't know that you are a member of the DNC. And I just thought that I don't think conventions are going to be done the same way after that. It was so accessible in, in ways that previous conventions hadn't been. So um. I, I agree with you. We did a good job. We did a great job. And everybody loved uh, the way the uh, the votes were reported from each of the states. They thought that was so creative, so exciting, and I agree with that too. Uh, so I'm pleased. I'm very pleased. Good. Yeah, the roll call was was wonderful. It was so cool. I want to start with the same question that I asked your colleague, Representative Adam Schiff, about a month ago when he was on our show. Where would we be right now if we hadn't taken control of the House in 2018? If we had not taken control of the House, we would be absolutely shut out of any opportunity to pass legislation, to get that legislation debated on the floor uh, in our own image. We would be at the mercy of both the House, uh, the Senate, and of course, the White House. Yeah. You've served in the House of Representatives for 30 years, and you've seen administrations and other representatives come and go. This may seem like a silly question uh, because the audaciousness of this current administration and of Trump is uh, unparalleled. But um, you were a fierce critic of both Bush administrations. What is different about Trump and the current group of GOP reps? Well, you know, that that's a very good question uh, because you will hear a lot of discussion about the Republican Party period not being the Republican uh, Party anymore, right. that it is the Trump Party. And when people describe it that way, it is because this president has conducted himself in a way that no other president has. And this is not about whether or not he's more conservative. This is about a president who has a basically failed character. This is a president who lies. This is a president who separates and uh, you know is divisive. This is a president who's pitting people against each other, a president who basically is supporting the white supremacists. Uh, this is a president who uh, fires um, without hesitation. This is a president who's alienated our allies abroad. No one, including myself, has ever seen anything like this or experienced anything like this. There are past presidents who were very conservative. Uh, they, they were maybe argumentative. They were uh, perhaps, uh, you know, very, very, even, even disrespectful in ways that they presented their arguments sometimes. But this president is beyond all of that. Even uh, his sister now has been revealed yeah. of saying that he was basically immoral. And, of course, his niece, who has written a book about him. Uh, this is unprecedented. Uh, and so uh, it is very different, very different. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the sort of the remnants of the Republican Party. It's now the Trump Party. And we see that in the RNC platform or lack thereof, which is basically we'll just do what Trump wants to do. That's their platform now. That's their platform. And I often think about members of Congress, Republican members, uh, who have to explain to their children and their wives what they're doing. 
and how they can not be ashamed of the fact that they don't stand up, that they appear to be intimidated, that they appear to be incapable of really representing all of their constituents uh, in ways that would basically sometimes uh, disagree with the president of the United States. I don't know how they look their families in the eye. It is just unheard of. (laughs) I I really, um, I am so offended by him until it has caused me uh, to have sleepless nights oftentimes, uh, thinking about what he just said, what he just did, how he just acted, and the lies that he tell. And, you know, they're so obvious uh, that I just don't know how he can continue uh, to move forward, knowing that everybody knows that he's lying. Yeah. We're all familiar with those sleepless nights and um, and trying to wrap our head around, you know, like I mentioned, the audacity of of the yes. damage that he's doing to our democracy. I mentioned earlier that you're chair of the House Financial Services Committee, of course, and you've been fighting for people, among other things, who are struggling all over the country due to the coronavirus pandemic. It's been over three months since the HEROES Act was passed, and of course, Mitch McConnell and the Senate GOP has refused to take it up. Why is this legislation so important, first of all, but why does the GOP want to stop it? Well, um, you're absolutely correct. Uh, The legislation is very important. Uh, We are experiencing COVID-19, a pandemic uh, situation that we're in. Uh, Many people have been laid off from work. Businesses have closed down. Uh, The economy is not working in an ordinary way. And so this is America. And we have families that are hurting. And we need to be of assistance to them. Uh, We need to be able uh, to come to their assistance in ways that they would expect their government uh, to help them out. Uh, in a situation like this. We have families who simply are struggling uh, to put food on the table. Rents are past due. Some people are almost in the third month of not being able to pay their rent. And small businesses, even though we had uh, assistance with the PPP in the CARES Act, they can only hold on to their employees for so long. And so we need to pass the HEROES Act so that we can supply to the states and the cities uh, the resources that they need to keep their employees, uh, to the small businesses, to be able to manage to stay open and stay above water, uh, to, uh, you know, help pay these back rents and to keep, you know, food on the table and Uh, you know, supply the dollars uh, that are so necessary uh, to supplement uh, the unemployment insurance benefits that some people are getting. And so you ask me why, and we we debate this question among ourselves. And I talk with Nancy Pelosi about it a lot. And she has simply concluded they do not care. Now, I know that sounds, Mm. you know, almost too simple. Uh, You know, it... uh, It doesn't make good sense, Uh, but she's convinced that they're not struck in any particular way about the harm uh, that families are confronted with. They don't care. They have no sleepless nights. They just don't care. Yeah. 
Um, that's, that's bleak. And sadly, it's really the only explanation for it. I mean, um, the House uh, on Friday, I guess, passed the uh, legislation to support the post office. And Mitch McConnell said he won't pass a standalone bill. Well, there's money for the post office and many other important things in the HEROES Act. So, you know, which is it, Mitch? Um, do you want it piecemeal? Do you want it all together? Um, and like you said, the answer is he doesn't, he doesn't want it at all. He doesn't care. And he's the first person that I would ask, like, how do you how do you look at your children? Uh, how do you sleep well, at night? Well, you know, he has abused his power uh, in the way that he has held up legislation. And some of this legislation is even bipartisan legislation that he has held up, refused to move. And, you know, this post office situation is uh, stunning. It is stunning because it is considered, you know, an American institution uh, that we love and we're dependent on. And from the time uh, that we're very young as school kids, we're taught that that mail is going to come to you, come rain or come shine. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the pictures of the postman uh, with the mail sacks uh, on the back of the horses still remains with me from when I was a child, when we had the stories about the United States Postal Service and the dedicated of the men and women who worked for it. And so we have a postal service now uh, that basically carries not only letters, but medicine uh, for people, and particularly seniors who are waiting on the medicine, the prescriptions uh, that have been prescribed by their doctors, families who are ordering groceries and food, and the postal operation uh, in Los Angeles that has one of these regional offices on Central Avenue where all of the mail is deposited in the region, I think, and then it is sent out to the various post offices. Uh, The food was rottening, and the stench was was starting uh, in the building. And I'm told that even in some places, animals are dying. And the little chicks I know uh, that uh, uh, people order, and I remember my grandmother used to order these little chicks, And that, you know, Rhode Island Reds, they called them, and other (laughs) names that I can't remember now, but they're dying in their cages. And so this doesn't move him. This doesn't bother him uh, that, you know, the veterans, you know, we have so many veterans who are employed by the post office uh, who we should be proud of that we're able to, you know, see to it that they have jobs that pay a good wage and benefits, et cetera. And uh, they're talking about laying them off. They are taking away their overtime. Uh, They're dismantling the sorting machines and they're Mm -hmm. delaying the mail and all of the packages. And they just are at the mercy of this president and his old crony that he sent over to be the new postmaster general, Mr. DeJoy, who's carrying out the wishes of the president. All of this is because the president is afraid of mail-in voting, of absentee voting, vote by mail, however you want to describe it. He believes that with the opportunities opening up for vote by mail, that it will not favor him, uh, that he will not win the election. And he's willing, with this scorched earth policy, Mm. uh, to undermine and dismantle the United States Postal Service rather than be 
booted out of office. Can you believe that? Right. Rather than face a fair and free election where everyone has their franchise to vote. Um, this is voter suppression. It is. Yes. And that's the only way that the uh, that they can win. And uh, and so we have to fight against that. And I want to talk about um, I want to get because <laughs> it's a dark time and uh, and there's a lot of bleak stuff going on. But I do want to talk about what we can do as volunteers and how we can help out and get a little hope in into this. Um, but before I do, um, I do need to mention you have always been really great in articulating hopelessness and despair in cities and communities of color back in 1992 after the Rodney King verdict. You uh, you really helped articulate that in Los Angeles. Back in June, the House passed the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that also is languishing on Mitch McConnell's graveyard. Just over the weekend, we saw yet another young black man, Jacob Blake, get shot by police in Wisconsin in front of his kids who were in the car, um, his little kids. What can we uh, do to keep fighting for black lives and push back against Trump's racist and destructive rhetoric and actions? You know, this is um, so very hard uh, to witness yeah. uh, these killings of unarmed black people for the most part and black men for the most part. And of course, uh, the killing of uh, George Floyd uh, at the knee of a police officer really did shake this nation uh, and other parts around the world, uh, just seeing him uh, with his knee on his neck for mm-hmm. almost nine minutes. Yeah. And the protest took to the street uh, in ways that was just absolutely demonstrative of a country fed up uh, with this kind of thing. And so uh, I was so pleased to see the protesters, young, old, white, black, Asian, Muslims, Christians, all religions, Jewish, you name it, they were out there. And so I know uh, that that killing of George Floyd had a impact uh, on so many of our, our citizens. Yes. And to keep witnessing it after that happened is so baffling. It's almost as if the police are trying to prove a point that they're not going to stop. Uh, we've had more than the one that you're describing. We had a young uh, Latino that was killed uh, in the Gardena area uh, a few weeks ago, shot in the back. Uh, as he was running away. And uh, I've been thinking about what can be done aside from what we're doing with people like you and others who are basically creating, uh, you know, more discussion about it, being uh, absolutely opposed to policing uh, in the manner that we have witnessed for far too long, uh, talking about reimagining how these police Departments should work, all of that, Black Mm -hmm. Lives Matter. I'm thinking, and I don't know if it would do any good, that we need to have a national call to action in the uh, Capitol, just focus on the one issue of uh, dealing with police brutality and the killing of uh, Blacks and unarmed uh, by the police, where we have the heads of all of the civil rights organizations and other organizations who are appalled uh, by what we continue to see, where we 
come up with strong demands in ways that we've perhaps never done before. And I don't know what all of those are, you know, in looking at how police departments are organized, how police chiefs are either voted for or chosen, who becomes a police officer, mm -hmm. how do they get vetted? Not only what is the training, uh, but the backgrounds, you know, more carefully looked at. I mean, we've got to focus on this issue in ways that will help us to come up with some answers. Otherwise, these killings are going to continue and it's going to lead us into, you know, some terrible times with some resistance to that uh, that's going to start to happen. Yeah, that that sounds amazing. And um, hopefully when we win back the White House and the Senate and get that gavel out of Mitch McConnell's hand, then in January, there's hope that we could actually do what you're saying and, and have that right now with administration that would rather respond to it by tear gassing peaceful protesters. I don't see that happening until he's out of office. Um, but we, no. but we can we can make that happen after inauguration day. And um, you have a, a unique on the ground perspective on on this history because you've been fighting it your entire life and career and forty years in public service alongside other giants in the civil rights movement. And I I do feel like this is an inflection point in our history. Um, yes. And uh, and I like I echo what I what you mentioned that you see everyone coming together for this cause. So, um, yes. so if we can if we can win this election and and push back against the voter suppression and the the cheating that the administration is trying to do, I'm hopeful that we can see some real change. Um, do you feel that way too? I do, I do. When uh, the protests were taking place, and I was just um, you know glorifying and what I was seeing and, you know, the hope uh, that came along with those images, I did see that we were on the precipice of change. And um, again, I don't know, and I can only speculate that these continued killings and shootings and shooting citizens in the back, yeah. shooting people, human beings in the back uh, who are unarmed, I just don't understand why the message was not gotten to the police uh, officers on the ground that they've got to find a way to de-escalate if there are arguments. Uh, to, if there are unarmed men running away, uh, you can run after them. You can even taser them, but you cannot continue to kill them and shoot them in the back uh, because they're running away. Uh, without. They don't have weapons. And so you can't run, you can't catch them, uh, you can't do something other than kill them. It is not to be understood, not to be understood. Yeah, um, well said. I don't understand it either. Um, so let's let's talk about the most important things that we should be doing right now uh, to make sure we do win the White House and the Senate um, and hold on to our House majority. What has you concerned and where do you want people to focus their attention right now? Well, you know, um, I am concerned because we have to always be concerned. And we've been in the struggle to register people to vote for so many years. Right. And we still have people who have not registered to vote. 
We have now made it easier for people to register to vote. We have same-day registration in so many states now in California. Mm -hmm. Same-day registration takes away the excuse uh, that I forgot, uh, I was busy, I couldn't get away from my job. Uh, You can plan uh, for same-day registration. That's very important. Uh, The other thing that's very important is the mail-in vote that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Vote by mail. Uh, You don't have to get to the polling place. In California, every registered voter is going to get a ballot uh, in the mail that they can fill out and send it back. Don't let it languish uh, on the top of uh, the refrigerator somewhere. (laughs) No. Fill it out and send it back. If you have questions, call your registrar voters, call your elected officials. I don't care who you call. Call your minister. Call somebody. (laughs) Call me. I'll help. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Call you. Yes. (laughs) Call and and get some answers uh, so that you can fill that ballot out and you can get it back in. And of course, there will be polling places. And so you can you have a choice. You can go to the polling places. There'll be some early voting so that you can manage your time so that if on election day where you had planned to go to the polls, uh, you had not planned on absentee voting, you need to know uh, that uh, you have some other alternatives. And so please, you've got to get the answers. You've got to return the ballots. You've got to take advantage of same-day registration and voting. We have so many options now. And so I want everyone to take responsibility, number one. Then take responsibility for those around you and people that you're connected with. Our conversation should be, good morning. Have you registered to vote? (laughs) Hello, how are you doing today? Have you registered to vote? That should be our mantra. We should, that's what we should do every day, all day. And then we should help people know how to get registered to vote. And then, of course, uh, we have our Internet. And we have all of these social media platforms. And particularly young people who use them. They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. And they know how to do it. They do it all the time. As a matter of fact, I'm still amazed at how much people want you to know about what they're doing (laughs) uh, and when they're doing it and how they're doing it. I never knew that that would create so much interaction, but I suppose people are interested. I'd like folks who are constantly using our social platforms uh, to understand that you can use them for not only encouraging others to vote, sending messages, making connections, create the conversations. Let's have some virtual meetings with our friends. Uh, Let's get together and talk about, criticize elected officials that you don't like, Uh, support elected officials that are doing a good job, Uh, create a conversation, tell them about an experience you had, talking with someone else, I mean, there's so much we can do and so many ways that we can do it to create more activity and more involvement. And then also for your uh, social clubs and organizations, Mm -hmm. you must not be involved with a fraternity or sorority that you don't contact. You have all of the lists. You have the database. Put something together, a conference call, uh, a virtual meeting, anything. 
You can do something. Everybody has power now. And we can use that power in so many different ways. But this is critical. This is perhaps the most important election of our lifetime. I know we hear that kind of thing all the time. It's really true now. (laughs) It's really true now. You've seen what we have. I mean, this president has defined himself. You see what he has working with him. Mm-hmm. His cabinet uh, that's afraid of him, that's intimidated by him, who will do his bidding. We can't live this way. We cannot take another four years of this. We cannot have a democracy. They're undermining our democracy without going into all of the ways that this president is connected with Putin and the oligarchs of Russia. This man knows that Russia hacked into our DNC. They even hacked into some of the Russian operations, and he refuses to condemn them. And so he doesn't care about the democracy. He cares about himself. We can't live this way. We cannot stand by and watch our democracy destroyed uh, by this human being uh, who has no conscience, who is an immoral human being. I've even gone so far as to say that he's the most deplorable human being I've ever witnessed in my life. Hmm. And I believe that's true. One last question that we always finish off with. What gives you the most hope for our future? I have hope because my whole life has been about having hope. You know, I come from a huge family. I have 12 brothers and sisters. We didn't have very much. And, you know, the sociologists at Washington University nearby where we lived in St. Louis, Missouri, basically said we didn't stand a chance, that our community of poor people came from dysfunctional families, from, uh, you know, single parent households uh, didn't have resources and just we would end up, you know, being failures uh, because of the way that uh, we were born. And of course, it didn't happen that way for me and many of my friends who came from those communities who did what our mothers and fathers still said, you know, you should do to work hard and to believe. And of course, they had us in church and they had us praying and all of that. Mm -hmm. But we had hope. And we believed uh, that life uh, could be better, that we could have a good quality of life, that we deserved it. And so the hope that I've always had as a child coming up, the hope that I've had for my communities and my friends and my family, does not leave me. Uh, I'm not separated from that at all. I live with hope. I go to bed some nights disgusted and thinking, what the heck is going on? But I wake up the next morning refreshed and ready to go with hope. I have plenty of hope. Thank you. Representative Maxine Waters, what an enormous privilege to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I enjoy talking with you. Thank you for joining us and for stepping up to take action. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved. We want to hear from you. Tweet to us. I'm at BluesBoySteve, and you can send congratulations to at Mariah underscore Craven or email us at podcast at swingleft.org. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. That really helps us. Share on social media and use the hashtag HowWeWin2020. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And of course, that's where you sign up to volunteer for all of these important shifts. 
We really appreciate you being here with us, and we'll be back with some more next Wednesday. MSW Media.